You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today is Bob Scott of Zome. Hey, everybody. Hey, Bob. Howdy. Nice to see you. I, I actually ran into you a little bit ago at the Mechanical Grinding Reaction Fest that we both played. Right. Uh, and astute Noise Extra Instagram viewers will note that I, uh, I actually streamed Bob's set, which was awesome. It uh, was. On our oh, Noise Extra you. Instagram. So, you know, pay attention to that thing sometimes. I don't know. But uh, and we were talking and, and it was funny because we kind of tried to get in contact with you to talk with you. But when, when we were at the fest, I said I thought it had been 17 years. But actually, I, I went right. in looking at your old show history and stuff. It's been eight. It had been 18 years <laughs> since oh, we would played together, which it seems really crazy. It's been so long. And that was, you know, I still very fondly remember that show at the Del Sol Park in San Francisco and <sighs> and. Just like meeting you and a bunch of other people. I think that's when I met Sixes. And it was just a, uh, that's when I met Michael Nine. Like there was just so much going on there that was, you know, it was like a big, (laughs) that was a big show for me. I always remember, uh, yeah, you gave me a chondritic like t-shirt. I think I told you this last week, but yeah, it's still one of my favorite t-shirts. And I remember we were out in the parking lot near that, that park. And you're like, oh, hey dude, here you go. What size do you wear? Kind of thing. I was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that was so early in me running a label and and I taught myself to screen print so I could make shirts and stuff. It's so ridiculous <laughs> to think about the, those times. So, so long ago, it seems. And oh, Zone's uh, been around for such a long time. I mean, you started experimenting with stuff, I guess, in the, the late 80s and then kind of officially started in 94. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ba- basically, yeah. Just kind of, um, this is messing around with just whatever dumb equipment I had, which was, uh, almost nothing. Like I remember I had a, uh, um, th- this it was, it was called a Yamaha. I think it was a QI 10 was the model number. And it was this little, uh, it's like a sequencer, a device all contained and it, and it fit in a VHS case. That was like its thing. So it was the same size as a VHS tape. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, pretty cool. You should look it up online sometime. It's like, uh, I think it's QI 10 is the model number, but it's a, uh, just a little sequencer and it has some built-in sounds that are really, you know, kind of SEO-esque, like sort of, you know, bleepy, bloopy, you know, like here's a trumpet sound and a guitar sound and a drum sound. But I was just nice to you know, just make weird stuff with that. I it had MIDI on it. So I managed to uh, connect it to this uh, computer that I had and use it for just, just weird stuff, just whatever I had. And then, uh, yeah, I re- recorded a few things with, uh, friends and stuff like that. I have some tapes from around that, uh, that era and, uh, just, you know, messing around in my friend's bedroom, uh, in, uh, you know, when, uh, the time I was living in uh, Riverside, uh, California. Okay. So yeah, I was, uh, down there and then, uh, yeah, eventually it just kind of was kind of dormant, you know, just kind of whenever I got bored, I would just like play around with, with music and record random things. And, but then, uh, yeah, then, uh, probably in about 90, probably 92 or 93, I started getting a little bit more gear. Uh, there used to be this, uh, in San Francisco, there used to be this like used music shop. Uh, I'm having a hard time remembering what the name of it was. Uh, oh, Black Market Music. That was, that's We've what heard it. people yeah. mention yeah. that before. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, yeah, that place was hilarious too. They, they really hated anybody that wasn't like a local like band in the Bay Area. And so you walk in there and you get these evil eyes, like, who are you kind of thing? Like, what are you doing in our <laughs> store? And uh, I remember... Uh, 
yeah, this, uh, they had a case with all these pedals and I was like looking at them and I was like, Oh man, uh, Hey man, how much is this? He's like, "Mm, 40 bucks. Okay. Okay. Then, Oh, how about uh, this Digitech pedal here or something? And he's like, uh, 40 bucks. Okay. (laughs) And then then I saw some like MIDI, like drum pads. And I was just like, how much are these? It's like, 40 bucks. Okay. I get it. (laughs) Everything's 40 bucks here. (laughs) What were you listening to at that time? And what were those early experimentations sounding like? Yeah, I was probably right around that time. I was kind of more into, um, I've always been into like punk rock, like since uh, I was uh, old enough to listen to punk rock. (laughs) And uh, yeah, yeah. And then uh, I've always sort of been into that, but you know, kind of, uh, I think right around that time I was getting into a little bit more like industrial stuff, you know, like ministry and like, it's like a skinny puppy, like just, you know, that kind of stuff. I remember being, yeah, was, you know, have a handful of CDs in that genre. And then, uh, as far as noise goes though, uh, it's always kind of funny because, uh, the, the small amount of gear that I got at that black market music place, me and my friend would just like go and, you know, just, uh, you know, camp out of my, my small bedroom in San Francisco, uh, just, uh, you know, just playing around with the gear. And then it, it just got kind of weirder and weirder. Like I remember we'd like plug in, I had this, uh, Digitech PDS 2020, uh, effect pedal. It's one of those dual Digitech pedals Yeah. and it has like, uh, like different delays, uh, times on it, I think up to two seconds, which is, you know, pretty long uh, for the time. And, uh, I remember just capturing weird loops in there. And then we were just like, Oh yeah, we got to leave it. Cause this is just an amazing loop. We can't lose it. And I'd have to keep the thing powered like 24 seven. And then so that we could <laughs> continue on it the following week and stuff. And, uh, yeah, for a while I had this little electronic drum set and we'd just get loops and play them. And then I would like play drums along with the loops and stuff like that. Just uh, recorded a few things like that. It just, it got weirder and weirder. We started putting like, you know, uh, playing records and, you know, just kind of spinning them by hand and getting, uh, you know, backwards and, you know, all fast and slow and just made it weird and sampling static into the, uh, the delay pedal and manipulating that. And just, uh, one time I had a Korg, uh, synthesizer and you could shape the sounds, uh, individual sounds uh, that are contained in the device. And yeah, I did stuff with that. I think it was a Korg M1, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah. That's more than 40 bucks. Yeah, that was way more than 40 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we actually just talked to N. Nile, who had a Korg M1 as well. That was one of the synths he mm-hmm. said he started out with. So I love that thing. It was <laughs> kind of professional grade stuff. <laughs> and uh, yeah, then I, uh, yeah, yeah, it was just. Yeah, I just made stuff. I, I had a little Tascam, like four track and recorded those drum tracks and the noise tracks over it. And just, just was messing around a lot. And then uh, yeah, one, one day, my, uh, my friend, uh, Ian, like, he's like, oh, uh, Bob, uh, you, uh, um, you, you, you like weird music enough. Like, hey, look what I got. And he had this catalog from uh, Subterranean Music in San Francisco. Yeah. And, you know, it had these like one line descriptions that it had like, like violet onsen geisha, like, you know, abrasive noise from Tokyo or, you know, some descriptions like that. I'm like, that sounds pretty weird. And, uh, at the time I was a student at San Francisco state and I must've got my, uh, student loan money or grant or something like that. Cause I went over to wisely (laughs) invested in my future. (laughs) (laughs) Before we continue our conversation with Bob, 
a word from our sponsors. The return of the self-abuse murder series continues. We all like to collect things. Records, coins, stamps, funeral home matchbooks, or other mementos. It could be a few small things that remind you of past times or an obsessive desire to own, catalog, and organize. Bob Berdello was a collector. Most of what he collected, he would sell at his flea market stall, Bob's Bizarre Bazaar. But his own personal collection, Young Men, he kept hidden at his home in Kansas City. Self-Abuse Records presents a new 7-inch from Focomolis, the next 7-inch in the murder series. A horrifying examination of what happens when one man lets some of his darkest fantasies become his reality. Available from Self-Abuse Records and other sellers of fine collectibles. Selfabuserecords.net Now available on Oxen Records, Neural, The Final Decisive Moment CD. Scum, Unsustainable Social Condition, Necessary Downfall CD. Systemic Sewage, Unsustainable Social Condition, All Available Weaponry CD. Other titles still available include Circuit Wound, A Sudden Lapse of Concentration, Scathing, A Capital Beneath the Waves, and Leah P. Surviving the Familiar. Go to oxen-label.com for more info. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, I remember going over there and it was just, just a distribution place. They didn't have a storefront or anything like that. And I called up. I'm like, yeah, I want to get some stuff. And they're like, well, we're not open to the public, really. And I'm like, oh, bummer. And then he's like, well, if you know exactly what you want and you can like, you know, uh, list it out for us, we can get it ready for you. And I'm like, oh, cool. I remember going, it was like literally like a business card, like taped to a door. <laughs> like, and I went and like, knock, knock, knock. And some guy came out and, you know, I forgot who it was. You know, I have met him subsequently, but <laughs> uh, yeah, and he you know, hooked me up with it. And yeah, you know, it's like maybe hundred or so dollars worth of CDs at the time. I forget how much it was, but yeah, it's uh save that shipping. Well, do you, do you remember what they were, what the CDs were? A few. Yeah. One really, it, the thing is that like, like, uh, probably the, the one that like comes to mind first is violent on Geisha, the excrete music release. I think it was on, uh, I vanilla, I'm guessing vanilla or, uh, this Jojo's, uh, alchemy. Alchemy. Yeah. Yeah. It, on one of either one of those, I forget like one of those labels just an amazing release, but I heard it. I was just blown away. I, I remember thinking that, you know, I was making weird stuff and just for myself, but I was thinking people are actually releasing this kind of shit. <laughs> like what the hell? And I was, it just really just like inspired me like a lot. Yeah, that, that one in particular, I remember I had the Hijo Kaidan CD, one with the tree on it. Yeah. Uh, with the tree. Is that, it's not romance. No romance is like the sunset. Or is it, Maybe it is. Maybe, maybe there is a trend romance. I'm, yeah. It might be romance. Yeah, I think it is romance, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of uh, yeah, Japanese stuff. And there are two, like uh, Omoide Hatoba. I don't know if you know them. Some people in uh, Boredom's. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. It's one of their, you know, split off sort of projects. It just sounds different when you say it correctly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, how do I say it? Like, Omoide uh, Hatoba. <laughs> there you go, Hatoba. <laughs> <laughs> we I say everything wrong, so yes. I love hearing. That. Yes, so thank you. Yes, I so love those, that Subterranean was sort of a an entry point. I, I used to actually go there when I was up in San Francisco when I worked at the record store because they still had a warehouse and you could dig through all the dust and old stuff <laughs> and find some really amazing things. 
and uh, probably it's probably still like a violent on Sengesha CD hidden in a corner somewhere. There is the thing. Like, <laughs> oh, I always say, I mean, into the two thousands, you could get the Nervous mm-hmm. Gender LP from that was the same press from the eighties with the same catalog in it, and for the for the same you know whatever eight bucks. I mean, I remember they had that stuff in print for so long. <laughs> Eventually, Pretty we all amazing. got them. That's what that's what happened, yes. right? Is eventually yeah, like everyone them, yes. that needed yes. it, it they like it found their way to them. So that's really cool. That's so, why we're all here today, go, right now. <laughs> <laughs> really. Uh, so, going from hearing that stuff and and making your own stuff, this you're talking ninety two, but you didn't yeah. really release anything until about ninety five. So, what happened between ninety two and ninety five? Uh, just. You know, just like lack of knowledge on, you know, I, I didn't, honestly, like I said, you know, I didn't think anybody really took like noise music uh, seriously. And so I didn't even know, you know, until probably about 93 or 94 that even people, re, you know, released stuff <laughs> like that. Right. And so uh, it's, it's kind of interesting, I think, how I, I kind of discovered this. It's like I was doing noise and then noise, you know, we kind of connected somehow <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And at San Francisco State, while I was going there, I met uh, Tim Oliveira from Stimbox. And uh, when I met him, he wasn't doing Stimbox. Let's just uh, let the record show that. <laughs> and, uh, and he'll probably, if he was here right now, he'd probably argue with me, but I'm the one that got him in the noise. <laughs> yeah, he, he started a, a label, like a small label called Hebi Like a Snake, which is funny because the word Hebi in Japanese means snake. So it means kind of like snake like a snake. <laughs> <laughs> I was I always loved that name. I never knew that that's what that had meant. no idea. <laughs> and also too in Japanese, if you were to uh, Japanese the word heavy, it would come out heavy, heavy like that. So oh, really? it almost yeah. sounds like heavy like a snake, but it's actually yeah, kind of a weird play on words. <laughs> it gives it a nice edge. So have you always like? Do, have you always do you speak Japanese, right? I, I do, yeah. Uh-huh. And and it, was that a pre-existing condition prior to noise, <laughs> or, or was or did noise, <laughs> or did it evolve? Right? How? Yeah. What's your trajectory for that? Because that clearly, was, uh, yeah, your first yeah. show was in Japan. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, uh, um, yeah, I actually studied Japanese when I was going to San Francisco State. Like, so that's one of my degrees in, like, uh, an undergraduate degree in Japanese. Uh, ah. Yeah, so I just studied it. And then I thought, like, you know, I graduated San Francisco State in 1994 and thought, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to Japan and, like, you know, practicalize my Japanese knowledge kind of thing. So, yeah, I went over there. And uh, at the time, I met this, uh, this woman. So we went there uh, together. It's always funny. when it, I think I moved there in 94, maybe May or June or, you know, like the middle of the year, like after I graduated, actually. So it must have been right around, like, June. And uh, I remember... Uh, I was there, like, the first day I was there, I looked at the, the kind of the weekly, like, you know, uh, music and, you know, uh, entertainment sort of information magazine called Pia. Uh, it's, it's big in Tokyo. It's uh, just a little, you know, newsprint sort of, you know, it's pretty thick, but, uh, mm. but newsprinted uh, sort of uh, weekly magazines, you know, sort of. And they had, uh, I was looking through there and they, <laughs> I was just so blown away. This is like pretty much the first day I was there. I had like, Oh my gosh, there's like Violent on Sengeisha again. I probably said Violent on Sengeisha like 30 times already today. And like CCCC, uh, Mersbau, 
and uh, yeah, and uh, I think like Chu Hasegawa, one of his like uh, side projects, they were playing at, in Shibuya, like which is in Tokyo, a town in Tokyo. And I'm like, no way, I gotta go to that. So like, you know, my third day in Tokyo, I was like, I went to this show. And, oh, uh, immediately amazing. corrupted. Yeah, oh, I love it. Yeah, it's just, I was just uh, yeah, shocked how friendly and welcoming everybody there was. Like, and, you know, it's just, you know, everybody's, uh, and I wanted to like say hi to everybody and talk to everybody. And, you know, and I remember uh, Nakahara from uh, Violin Onsen Geisha. He, he was immediately like, oh, yeah, you do noise too? Like, yeah, maybe we can do something together someday. Like, yeah, dude. It's like, yeah, come <laughs> on. Yeah, it's kind of... And I made friends like you know immediately. So that was like you know, three days into my uh, Tokyo uh, living experience. <laughs> you know, so wow. you were you were there for for like five years or so, right? You were there until the the end of the nineties, almost. Yeah, yeah, about six years. Six years. Bit short of six years. I just played uh, yeah, Tokyo and Nagoya once, maybe somewhere else. We were looking at your site, which is incredible zome.org the fact that you have a a working actual website that has actual information is in is nowadays is so rare it's thrilling i was so excited we've just been pouring over it for the for all week (laughs) yeah and looking at and you have a detailed show descriptions who you played with what, if any the memories venue, you have the show. flyers yeah, I mean, I it, yeah you really did get a chance to play with pretty much everybody from like you from the violent on Sengages and the cccc's you know to crack fears people who we have we yeah, love crack like crackers we feel we feel are so <laughs> mysterious yeah. still to this day a lot of people we talked to never played with crack fierce or met yeah. crack fierce yeah. And even, you know, like, I, I can't remember if I saw Seedmouth on any list, but I have to assume that you crossed paths with Seedmouth at some point. You know, I, I, I forget where he was from, but I don't think I've ever met he, him. He was kind of, I'm pretty sure he was out of the, like, out of the loop of the, the city. Scene. And yeah. from from the stories about him, he was a, a pretty strange character. One of our absolute favorites yeah. of all time. Oh, yeah. yes. So we get excited, you know, that you got to play with, like, all these from all the ranges of everybody i i can't i just can't imagine what the that whole vibe was for you back then it just must have been just so exciting yeah it's funny i I was totally excited you know like literally you know i think uh i think like my second show i was playing with mersbow like and it's kind of like what the (laughs) what the hell you know Uh, know, but uh um yeah it was uh it was it was it was uh really weird time and and i always i always tell people too you know it, it it's not that much different than the scene in the united states and i imagine pretty much anywhere else you know it's so fucking small <laughs> you know it's just you know you you just you know you know people and you rely on people and you know it's just like oh yeah so-and-so is putting on a show and so you know uh you know maybe they'll invite you and you know maybe you'll invite them to play a show if you know about you know just it's, you know, such a, there's no room for, uh, you know, like an anonymity, like in the noise right. world, mm-hmm. it's like everybody knows each other and everybody's, you know, like I said, everybody's super cool. Like in Japan, just, just like here, you know, you know, this is my, uh, family here, you know, pretty much. <laughs> now, you, was there any sort of touring or was it mostly one-offs in the city or was there any 
couple day tours, week long tours that you did, or was it mostly one offs? Yeah, not in not in Japan at all. Just mm-hmm. played, like you said, like just kind of one off shows. And yeah, recently when I was uh, and I played uh, last week in Los Angeles, I, you know, I added the you know the staying on top of it, and like I added the show to my website uh, uh, a couple days ago. And uh, I was looking through, and I was I think it was ninety four, ninety five. I played like more than once a month for those one-off shows. Like, so it was, uh, you know, pretty, uh, pretty active there. I was thinking, yeah, I want to play at least one show a month. And, you know, that was kind of my goal for a while. <laughs> so, and legendary know. places. I mean, all, yeah, all the, oh, yeah. all the great venues and with so many incredible artists. And now did, were you, so when you were in Japan is when you also started actually releasing tapes. Yeah, I think possibly the, the first uh, tape that I released was on Tim's label, that heavy, like a snake label. Uh, yeah. I think, I think we had a split or something. I forget, or it was just a zone release. I forget. <laughs> and then, and then, yeah, Tim did all these like compilations too. And, you know, I got to participate in those as well. Fortunately. Yeah. That's I. Uh, um, yeah. But yeah, really, yeah, I, I, I had a, I started at my own label, like every noise person in the world does, right? Of course. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, called Negatron Heavy Industries. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, did a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of trading back in the day and, you know, like a cocky SP, like, you know, remember uh, getting a hold of some of Joe Cawley's stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think of some other, you know, that. Well, so you probably met, a lot of the California artists not in California or when you were like, like Holly, what about GX? GX. I'm trying to think the first day GX used to live in San Francisco. I think that's the first time I, I okay. Before you, okay. You did meet him before you moved after I came back to the United States, I think very different from most people. Whereas you, you really got, going in 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 a foreign country yeah for a long time i thought you were japanese like the i would say probably for the first 10 years that i heard you Uh, but also it makes sense the sound also very much you know yeah i feel that there is something but even the the script on negatron isn't always just in english characters oh yeah i might have japanese on there Mm -hmm. probably but i yeah, that's funny that you mentioned that, Mike. What, 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 I mean, what is what is what's the difference between like noise that's made in uh, Japan and noise that's made in California or somewhere else? It, well, I, especially at that time, it, it, from from just there's something there's the speed. The zone has something. There's a speed to zone. Yeah, I, was, I think there's of it as fastness, faster. And I, yeah. and I put fastness with third organ, mm-hmm. killer bug, Mersbau, yeah. and there's a electronicness to it. It doesn't feel like a, a macronympha throwing a boulder in a washing machine and running it, blowing <laughs> like it out, blowing a four track out. It feels yeah. like there's electronics seem to be the basis of the zone sound. Is that, would you say that that is close to? Yeah, I'd say that's correct? accurate. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's funny that you use the, the term uh, fast. Because I, I've used that term like to describe, you know, like like artists that you just mentioned, like like uh, Indo and you know Killer Bug, you know, uh, like that sort of thing. Uh, I'm really like influenced by uh, Incapacitants. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that whole, like, I mean, uh, I, I, you've seen their live shows. Yes. Like, yeah. And it's just so oh, fucking intense. It's just like, you know, the, the, you know, a hundred pounds of just noise, like on your, you know, on your back. It's just, you know, like just crazy. And, you know, I remember seeing them, uh, you know, pl- playing with them quite a few times in Japan and yeah, befriending, you know, both Mikawa and Kosakai. Yeah, they're a huge influence on me. I, I especially Mikawa and his whole like uh, he would start his set with the, his table full of gear, like on this side of the stage, and by the end it would be on the opposite side of the stage. And, <laughs> you know, just so much like movement. And that's uh, that really influenced me to like like move more. You know, I, I always think uh, you know uh, I really that's just part of Zome now. Is just trying to be as like active, even though I'm getting like older and more, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like harder to move. <laughs> yeah, we're all getting a little bit more fragile day by day. Exactly. Yeah. Someday I'm gonna fall and break my hip, and then that'll be the end of Zone. <laughs> I just saw you, you know, a, a week ago, and and your performance was very active. And you brought mm-hmm. your own table, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Always a um, good move. Just a noise yeah. tip to everyone. You bring your own table. You don't have to worry about what kind of tables Never they got. Never depend on a table being yeah, present. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot. Yeah, I've uh, been there, done that kind of thing. It's just like relying on others' tables. <laughs> yeah, in-caps yeah. might have played the night before and just, just shredded it, it yeah, you know? Yeah, exactly. So you got to bring yeah. your own table. So, so when you started the label and started doing tapes, yeah. how, wh- how was the operation run did you have a set amount of tapes that you did at, in one shot did you do them on did Depend. you do them on an as needed yeah. basis because some of those early tapes do have uh, stuff adhered to the case like roast chicken yeah handmade <laughs> elements wow i'm glad you remembered that one that was well, well <laughs> also i love zome titles i think <laughs> We're drawn to roast chicken. To to me, titles like roast chicken, sushi, party, party, bolt. These are very specifically to me noise titles that that in ineffable thing right you can't totally put your finger on why it's so great. There's something like (laughs) the mundane of just the word party, but then what it is and then but just seeing it feels small it, yeah. it's so hard to totally and, and put even with words. the look of the cover you know with the yeah. her facial expression yeah, and the so word great. party it's just so it's good great. so how did those early tapes how were those done uh yeah basically like you know nothing really that organized i'm so like lazy when it comes to like stuff like that and it's like you know i, I basically I, I think you know, I would go out and buy, you know, like blank cassettes or whatever. Uh, and then maybe dub, you know, sit there all night and dub. Like I, I've done that like a, quite a few times. I, I don't, I don't think I've ever had a release that's, you know, like I only do 50 and that's that or whatever right. the number is. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think I've ever done anything like that. You know, it's always been, uh, you know, pretty much if you wanted to go buy a tape uh, from the website right now, I don't know if I could actually make it. I should take it down if it is for sale. <laughs> well, you got a few days to take it down because uh, hey. our people might hit you up. Unless you want to settle for mud. 
A jar of mud. We'll be asking about that. We'll be asking about that. Oh my god, yeah, that one. But is... so, but so you would you would make a certain amount, but then if if yeah. any if someone wanted more, you you would all you'd make some just kind of exactly that. Like, hey, I'm running kind of low. Better make some more, kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. were you dealing with say triple R at this time? Self abuse, subterranean. Uh, Did yes. you have distribution, or was it mostly individual orders yeah. and trains? uh self-abuse yeah uh i think uh i traded some with uh patrick yeah uh yeah a, a little bit yeah i remember mailing back and forth and actually did i tried to start like kind of a, a distribution service for like you know this you know, noise and experimental noise and experimental music when i was uh, in tokyo Not under the negatron name as well but mm-hmm. and so i had like a you know a lot of different labels uh Represented, I think, uh, as uh, in touch with uh, Joe Romer. You know, I did a lot of trading with him, and you know, uh, like I mentioned, Cocky SP. There's some other minor guys. I, I, you know, I think through Tim, I met some people in Hawaii. I was on a few calls. Oh, really? With, uh, Hawaiian think, noise. Yeah, yeah. This guy uh, JT Yamamoto, like he was uh, one of the guys I remember. Uh, I don't know if they're from Hawaii, but there is some weird band called like 3D House of Beef. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't know, they were on a comp that this, that they put out in, you know, from this label in Hawaii. And it, uh, so, you know, it was, you know, I'm sure some of the Negatron stuff was, was out there, but probably, you know, n- nothing all that serious. Like, I didn't know Ron at that time, really. So okay. no, no triple mm-hmm. R stuff. And I did whatever I could. I said I'm lazy, so. <laughs> well, tell me about the titles because, like I said, I I love those titles. <laughs> what what was going on? What were you thinking? Why why those? Oh, geez. Uh, yeah, there's some some of them. I mean, pretty much it's just random. What I was I'm just thinking at the moment, more or less. Uh, but a few of them do, they're, they're kind of themed, like you mentioned party. Uh, I remember Tim, like Stimbox uh, and I, we were uh, in San Francisco. I forgot we were, where we were at, but uh, we were at some, uh, I think it was like a, for some reason, I don't know why I was there, but a Buddhist temple in, in San Francisco. Okay. And uh, we were in the hallway and they had that picture that's on there. It was like actually tacked up on this bulletin board. And it, and it was a, a flyer for a party that was coming up. And I just, we were, I was, <laughs> I was like lo- looking at that woman's like, just kind of excited, like look on her face, you know, mm-hmm. not excited at all. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, Oh my God. And it said like party, you know, like a, a, a honor. I, I took down the flyer and I it was an actual photo, like, like glued to the, uh, flyer. <laughs> of this oh, woman. Wow. So great. And, and I just took it and that was the cover. And I, and where it said like party, I just cut that out and yeah. you know, slapped it on under, under her uh, face. <laughs> so great. So, well, like, you, uh, people miss yeah. the opportunity to go to that party because you took the flyer. You know, but, but it's uh, <laughs> now it's infamous for other reasons. <laughs> that's right. Yes. That's right. More people have benefited from it. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know where roast chicken came from. I think that was just some so random thing. I was Blind just Frenchies and pork. <laughs> Blind mm-hmm. Frenchies and pork. Uh, I don't know. That's just, uh, 
I think it's a, I think it's something that I misread. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Actually, I that like one it. I noticed uh, something very strange in the in the first track. I was just listening to it earlier. Uh, I listened to the entire thing, but in the first track, there's like a like a half second <laughs> snip. Actually, two different half second snippets that sound like uh, they might be some Beastie Boys. Oh, interesting. I wonder. I think I knew about the Beastie Boys at that time. <laughs> in both, it, it, maybe it was radio. Maybe the radio. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, like, is there Beastie Boys on there? I. I, I that's what. Know. That's what I thought. That's yeah. what it sounded like to me. But that I, is what Gray be. said. He's. He did say I, Beastie Boys in that track. I hear they were popular at the time, so it could be on the radio. I, I think they did okay for themselves. I think they did okay. Well, yeah, yeah, that weird punk rock band from New York. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they did all right. They started hipping and hopping, and yeah. And they kept going, hopped on up to fame. That's so funny. Like when uh, I was in the military, I was in the Air Force in uh, the mid 80s. And uh, yeah, it's uh, when I was there, I was living in the dorms, right? And uh, one of my. One of my friends who lived down the hall, I'm still in touch with them too. Like uh, to this to this day, this is you know an eighty, what, five, four or five, like around that time. Wow. Yeah, he he was right. He was a DJ, and he actually DJed at some clubs around uh, uh, around and stuff like that. And uh, and he's a uh, he's like, oh yeah, this this new band is like called Beastie Boys and stuff like that. And I'm thinking in my head like. I had this Roar cassette with this band called Beastie Boys. But there's no <laughs> way it's the same. Can't be the same band. Yeah. And uh, I remember, you know, the guy's like, yo, I'm Mike D. And I'm like, wait a minute. I think maybe that's. And, and I went and I got the, I had the, still had the tape. And I like, like, yeah, my, Michael, you know, whatever his name is. I'm like, oh, no way. <laughs> that's insane. So man. insane. Wow. <laughs> I remember making that. And, you know, my friend, uh, Fred, he was uh, just blown away, too. It's like, no, punk rock. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you're in the Air Force? I, I know was, you're killing yeah. me with this lazy thing because you've been in the airports. Yeah, I don't believe you. Japanese, I, don't, I don't believe lazy is played a, a show a month. No, you had a label. I'm not. I'm not going I think you had a label of Stimbox too. I see your collection of gear, which we're dying to ask yeah, you about. So, so, so I'm not. I'm not going with the no, lazy I'm not thing. Not buying it. <laughs> so when were you in the Air Force? Um, from '84 to '88. Do you fly things? Uh, uh, no, no, no. Did, <laughs> I, I flew you, once. <laughs> you did, but, but, but you got, yeah. you got what, what, I mean, if you don't mind, what was you, what did you do in the Air Force? What was your position? Yeah. Yeah. I was a, uh, air crew life support technician, which is basically like, a like, you know, the jet, like pilots, like they have to wear like helmets and oxygen masks and anti-G suits and survival vests and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I just maintain all that crap. Wow. And then, uh, you know, if a new pilot comes, I have to fit them for their helmet and mask and all that stuff like that. I was in this squadron that did like a tactical reconnaissance. They flew uh, sorties over North Korea and stuff. It was pretty badass. Well, that's not like <laughs> low key. You have to be responsible. You can't, you know, not take that seriously. Uh, I, mean, nah, I don't know. I was, what, what 18 or something? <laughs> like, I was like, just fresh out of life, you know, just out of, you know, just like, you know. Didn't know too much back then. <laughs> wow. So did that, uh, did that play into your, I guess, willingness to pick up and relocate to another country? Was that, did, did you just have that in you? And that was that a part of how that got in you, I guess? I think it was actually part of it. But yeah, definitely, yeah. you know, 
you know, a lot of people have these, the, uh, you know, these uh, preconceptions about people that are in the military about how, you know, kind of, kind of got a rednecky, like, you know, a little bit sort of image and, and this and that. But, you know, I, I think, mil- you know, people that are, that are in the military, they actually get a chance to like, you know, they're kind of forced to be with other people in the same, you know, I was with people from all over the country, like for the first couple months of, you know, the mm-hmm. basic training and all that crap. Um, you know, as people from, you know, Mississippi and Maine and New York and, you know, only three of us Californians uh, were there out of the hundred. I think it was 100. <laughs> but uh, it was, you know, good. And then, you know, uh, you know, there's bases all over the world, you know, U.S. military installations everywhere. So, you know, it's uh, you know, I, I do find that military people, not everybody, but a lot of people do seem to be a little bit more worldly, I guess. And yeah, it definitely played into my. Uh, my motivation to learn Japanese, uh, you know, uh, like I mentioned, I got a degree in it and like, yeah, I wound up you know, moving to Tokyo for, did you see any repercussions or any sort of advantages of, of living in Japan and starting doing noise there? It, it's really hard for me to say, I, you know, it's like, because I was, I mean, that's, you know, like you mentioned, that's kind of where, you know, I launched the noise career and, you know, so I was, you know, in it and, you know, I did have contact with uh, folks in other countries, uh, but I don't think there was any necessarily any assumptions. I, I kind of assumed that people thought I was like a non-Japanese person living in Japan, but, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think I ever got like, uh, like b- besides you, Tara, like, oh, I was, it was uh, me. I definitely thought you were Japanese <laughs> uh, for sure. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I don't think I, you know, I've heard of a few times, like people, you know, maybe a couple times people in the United States thinking like, oh, I thought you were Japanese or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think for the most part, you know, you know, in general people, you know, Japanese folks are, you know, generally pretty nice and, you know, they don't, they don't really care, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, especially like I mentioned too, the, the noise community is such a tight knit, you know, sort of group that, uh, you know, it's, a uh, it kind of doesn't matter. <laughs> so what brought you back to the States at the end of the nineties? Yeah, mostly work related. Uh, yeah, for work, I've been doing a uh, software development for a long time. And uh, I did that in Japan and uh, toward the end of the nineties, the economy kind of started getting all messed up. So uh, then I was reading about how this, like, you know, the internet boom in the United States and the Bay Area specifically was really taking off. So I kind of thought to myself, like, yeah, that's where I need to be. So <laughs> moved back to uh, San Francisco. <laughs> in this time when you moved back, you played a show with KK Now and Illusion of Safety in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a funny one. Uh, how did that show happen? Because... This is my first yeah. proper noise show that I ever saw. Which means I, you were basically my first proper noise artist that I ever saw live. Because I, I grew up around Chicago. I, I was living in Kentucky, uh-huh. but it was during summer break. It was in May. So I was so excited that there was an actual noise show that it, I was there. It was incredible. But it seems that there wasn't, you just did that show. There wasn't shows around it that you did. So how did that come together? Yeah. Isn't that weird? (laughs) Well, yeah, because I went to the Detroit show of the KK Null tour and you weren't on the bill. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, that, that, that's kind of an interesting show. 
I I hate to burst your bubble, Mike, but I I, I didn't play there. Well, so what happened? Uh, it, yeah, so uh, for See, a while. See, no, I said I said this. This is all we talked about for is like I said I do not. No, because I showed it, him your I website. Like, I, I showed him <laughs> zome.org and it, and it lists has the, the show fireside bowl at the fireside wonder. bowl. Yeah, and I was like, because I tell this story of yes. my first noise show, but I when I saw it, I'm like, I did not recall <laughs> you being there. And then when I saw there, and again, this is. My memory is so crazy. I'm like, well, I definitely, and I've seen Zoom. So yeah. I was like, well, that must have been it. It's 20 years ago. Do, do you remember that there was two women on stage? Gosh, Seems man. like the type of thing he'd remember. <laughs> yeah, really. yeah, you would think. Yeah, yeah but again, it's just, so, I don't, I, don't, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't remember anyone's set. I just remember being at the show. <laughs> yeah, so I... So for a while, uh, Zoom was on this thing where I just had this like really stupid idea and it was, uh, I, I abandoned it maybe after about a, a year or two, but I wanted to, um, uh, like a lot of the software I, I deal with is built on open source technologies. And I kind of liked the idea of open source. And I thought like, why can't there be an open source noise project? So I, uh, I had a, a form on my website and all you had to do is wow. fill it out and you could be a member of Zoom. And then I just asked you to please release stuff and do shows under the Zoom name. I'm not asking for money or nothing, you know, just, uh, you know, just a centralized place where everybody could just say I'm Zoom and, uh, and, uh, and just do whatever you want with the name basically. Wow. And, uh, there was, for a while, there was a, a handful of members. Uh, I could probably dig up that data somewhere, but uh, have backups of that data. But yeah, there's a handful I need that of on people. a floppy disk. Was that again? So I need that on a floppy, please. <laughs> I got some floppies around here. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, so uh, I have some friends that live in uh, Chicago. They have a, a, a noise sort of experimental-ish uh, project called TV Pal. Right, right. Yeah. Michael Hartman and Brent Gutzeit, uh, Todd Carter. Um, all those blokes, uh, they lived in Tokyo at the same time I did. So I'm really good friends with them. Matter of fact, I saw, yeah, I was on tour with the Boar in 2016 and I stayed at Mike's house for the, I haven't seen him in a long time, but um, actually, uh, yeah, they, uh, they, uh, they took the open source uh, Zoom idea to heart and uh, actually, yeah, uh, they uh, put Zoom on a on a bill with with Null and uh, wow. others. Wow! And, wow! Uh, and it was basically a bunch of Zoom recordings uh, played on stage, and it was uh, my friend Mike's wife and uh, one of her friends. Wow! <laughs> so this is why my memory was so I was so confused when I saw that. Yeah, and I was like, "Well, I was at the show, so I definitely saw Zone for the first. That would be my first noise set." But so it sort of was. I mean, it was Zone was, was technically it was, it was. Zone. Yeah, it was Zone, but was it, it wasn't you. <laughs> wow, my mind is so. It, this has been a day of my mind getting ripped in half like fifty times. I was writing a couple of different people. I was writing film. Like, I'm like, I guess I saw Zone with KK Null and Illusion of Safety. And then when I told Gray, he's like, well, why didn't he play the next night? Like, that doesn't make any sense. 
Probably because Mike's wife had something else to do on that night. <laughs> I, I feel like, uh, and I've this been trying amazing. to find a flyer for this gig. I feel like TV Pow or Seafoam or something like that, something from that <laughs> realm also played this Detroit show. Mm-hmm. But maybe the Zome uh, engagement was just just Chicago. So yeah, I'm pretty sure it was just that Chicago show, and it was. Uh, I, I did that, uh, and the only shows like that is that that uh, Fireside Bowl show, and then uh, another one uh, that one of my good friends in in Tokyo did um, after uh, he, he moved back to uh, like another city in Japan. I had moved back to the United States and goes like, Oh, I'm going to um, use a uh, zone and perform under zone, uh, you know, next weekend or whatever. I'm like, sure do whatever. And he was actually, he did a lot of zone with me in Japan. Uh, Tanaka is his uh, name. Uh, yeah. We did a, a lot of zone shows together uh, when I was there. And so, you know, I felt like totally comfortable. Like, Oh yeah, he's, you know, he's got the, you know, a lot of rights to use that name or whatever. So, <laughs> I think he wound up doing like a video DJ sort of weird set, like a zone or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah, there was, I think he played in Yokohama actually uh, under zone. So there was two shows that were just kind of, I let somebody else's do it <laughs> for me kind of thing. My, I, I, my mind is and, completely and just of all shredded. shows to have seen. <laughs> yeah. My mind That's is shredded. One. I love this idea. This and I love amazing. that it comes from sort of like open source software and the, you know, sort of anyone has the right to uh, modify and use what you've created. <laughs> right. Exactly. Modify. Yeah. They could. Yeah. Of course. So the whole zone, you know, uh, uh, discography was available for anybody that wanted to use it. And, you know, I just, uh, decided to go that route. And then for whatever reason, I kind of decided like, maybe this isn't a good approach. You know, I, I need to, you know, I, I do like, uh, zone and I like performing a zone and it's kind of my baby. You know, it just kind of changed my mind on that. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, yeah. I think I'd like to take it back. So I took all that open source stuff down and it's kind of uh, just got rid of that idea before it became too much of a thing. <laughs> wow. Incredible. So when, so you were back in the States in 99 though, we, like that was when you came back around then. Right. Right. Yeah. Toward the very mm-hmm. end of 99. Yeah. And then were you immediately playing shows in the Bay area when you got back? <laughs> Not immediately. As a matter of fact, uh, at the time, it, I always, I always thought that the scene at the time in San Francisco or the Bay area in general was uh, really sort of fragmented. It had like a, like a, like Grux and mm-hmm. like his, you know, sort of crew, I guess, or lack of better words. And, uh, you know, the, <laughs> me and Tim used to say, oh, that's like costume noise or something like that. Right? That was, that was the word. That was yeah. the term for sure back then. Mm-hmm. But then you uh, also had seven Hertz going. Yes. Seven Hertz. You know, he had, you know, like, uh, Randy Yao, uh, you know, Michael nine and, you know, like those mm-hmm. folks. Uh, Scott Arford, I think it was uh, moving around at that time. Uh, there's some others too, but uh, yeah, it was like it seemed like these like big kind of clicks, and then there was like kind of me and Tim just off to the side somewhere. You know, we'd go to the shows, these shows, and we would see all you know uh, Grox and you know uh, Randy or whoever there, and uh, you know, uh, but we never got invited to shows or anything like that. And so uh, it's like wh- whatever. Yeah, wound up playing a lot, like in Sacramento and Portland and uh, like other places, like not a uh, not, not not in the Bay Area. I think it was not not until, uh, yeah, like I mentioned, I came back, uh, you know, just just around the beginning of two thousand. 
don't think I played a show in the Bay Area until 2004. Oh, wow. wow. Really? That yeah. show we played. <laughs> Not quite, but that was, that was 2004. That was August 2004. So I'm sure there were a few things before that, but... <laughs> Oh, serious. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember it was uh, with Randy Yao, if I remember right. Because I'm right like, on. oh, it's finally the union of these, you know, these uh, disparate yeah. groups yeah. coming to me. <laughs> you know, Grux is a good friend. And, you know, I, uh, Michael Nine, you know, good friends with him still. And, you know, everybody's uh, all friendly now, but it wasn't much. That, it wasn't that way back in uh, around 2000, 2001. That, well, that time. and your, mm-hmm. your split with Death Squad has another fantastic title. Life, quit it. Life, quit it. (laughs) Perfect. Sums it up. So your friendship with Tim would not only spawn collaborations and and releases on each other's labels and stuff, but you guys started a sort of a a very, I think, interesting idea for the time that, I mean, the two two things really, right? It was the harshnoise.com with the sort of CDR editions and also the noise pedal review site which which i for the life of me i can't remember the name of right now we we had a harshnoise.com and that was the that was originally that was the 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 uh you know the equipment review site the pedal review site and i remember you gray you you were like uh, we had a point system and you were probably one of the the top reviewers like for a while yeah, I, actually i dug because right. it that site got archived somewhere it's like pedal bug or something now oh yeah that's still my site oh it is okay yeah, I, could, yeah. I, I knew it had like transferred but i didn't know what <laughs> what the affiliation yeah, yeah. was yeah it's hardly maintained anymore but yeah. well i found all my old reviews on there <laughs> And reading through some of the pedals that I loved back then and some of my like absolute current favorites now, like I kind of trashed the corrosion back in the day. And now it's one of my one of my favorites, you know, (laughs) just thinking about things like that where you're like, yeah, I I wasn't using it the same or it grew on me. But I've always thought it was it was kind of it was was it noiseguide.com? Yeah, (laughs) noiseguide.com. And then uh, then there was like forum.noiseguide.com, which was a just a. Uh, you know, noise forum. Uh, I finally had to give that up. Yeah. I get, kept on uh, uh, getting uh, too many strikes against me and stuff. You know, if I ever tried to put, you know, uh, like anything Google related on there, like yeah. analytics yeah. or uh, advertising or anything like that, it would just get pulled immediately. Like, and then I was, uh, for a while, there was a, um, I, as some very, very questionable material posted on that website. And I did not want to be associated with, uh, you know, illegal stuff. So I wound up, uh, yeah, uh, yanking it eventually. I think I gave the site over to, uh, Adrian, uh, you know, uh, X Doug F, uh, I, I wound up just giving everything to him. So okay. like, do you want to manage it? <laughs> good luck dude <laughs> so. yeah i mean as someone who uh shut down their own forum many years ago i it's it's a lot to manage it's a full-time job yeah you think you know small noise community what could go wrong <laughs> oh lord <laughs> these days uh, you couldn't you couldn't pay me to do it <laughs> uh, yeah no way <laughs> forum quit it but, yeah, yeah, forums, quit them. <laughs> quit it. <laughs> but, uh, Harsh Noise did lots of great CDR releases in a sort of a uniform format, maybe kind of in line with what Groundfall was doing, but on a yeah. on a yeah. sort of smaller and more direct scale, more immediate scale. 
with yeah. CDRs and there's a lot of great stuff on there. I mean, we've circuit wound, of course, has a, a great one. There's a macro. I think there's two macro. Yeah, a couple discs, of macro input. Yeah. Uh, you guys did. K2. Uh, there's there's yeah, flake <laughs> nitro, right? Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's uh what's the one I was just thinking of? There's a uh sewer election, Torpa Freak in, like an early sewer oh. election release. Oh god, yeah, sewer election, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's uh yeah, there's a it, it was a the, the label was mostly Tim's. Uh, I, I, uh, I helped him out obviously with the, you know, the website stuff and then, uh, uh, the artwork for the, uh, all the CDs and everything, I kind of, kind of focused on that stuff and he did pretty much everything else. Okay. So it was, it was mostly him. And then after a while, uh, <laughs> talking about my laziness, he, uh, yeah, he got, uh, he, he finally got fed up with how long I take to produce the artwork and stuff like that. He's just like, I'll just, just send me the templates. I'll just do it myself. And I'm like, but you're going to do it wrong. Like, <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, but, he, but he took it over and he, you know, wound up doing just fine without me. So <laughs> and I helped him however I could, but, uh, and eventually, uh, it kind of got out of noise altogether and uh, basically sold that business and the label just kind of quit the label. Some amazing releases on there. I don't know how many, but how many releases were on that label, but guessing 30 to 40, maybe even more. Yeah, I've got quite a, a few. Got a good stack of them here still. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah I got, I think everyone. <laughs> there may be one or two missing, but yeah, <laughs> not as much as I'd like to. And I really I, I think about them a lot. Yeah, I moved to Sacramento in uh, 2008. Yeah, we, we you know stayed in touch you know quite frequently um, immediately after that, but just in the last maybe five years or so, not not too much interaction. Hmm. I think the last time I uh, had any uh, sort of conversation at all with them is uh, um, he was posting on r slash punk on a uh, punk rock on a on a Reddit and and I I said something about like punk rock in Southern California in the eighties and and he messaged me and was like oh no way Bob you're on here kind of thing so we had a back and forth how's it going man you know kind of thing and <laughs> but I I often think that I need to call him. <laughs> That's yeah. how it goes with friendships. I'm sure it'd be like you just talked yesterday if you caught up, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It would be like, oh, oh hey, yeah. And stuff. <laughs> you know, well, yeah. Well, do you recall the switch that you made from cassettes to CDRs? I mean, at the time, and even it's a it's a it's an ongoing th talk to this day about mm -hmm. CDRs and you know what their place is in the underground but you really did take to it especially with harsh noise and then have reissued your stuff on cdr since yeah do you recall the the feelings behind that and what are your feelings behind doing that i, I don't have any strong opinions actually on the format uh, i i do think cdrs are really cool because they're just super accessible for anybody that wants to you know uh you know, run off 20 CDs, make some cool covers and stuff like that. You know, it's the, you know, the, 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 the entry barrier is super duper low. You know, you can, you know, it's, uh, you know, for me, like I mentioned, you know, it's just like, oh yeah, I'm uh, going to be playing a few shows. So, you know, you know, uh, go and burn, you know, 20 copies of blah, 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 you know, CD and you have some merch to trade or sell or whatever. But you, you just seem to be on the cutting edge of technology throughout your life. 
Is that, is that just, <laughs> no. you've just always been interested in it? Are you just fooling CDR. us? Yeah. Are you just fooling? We just think that about you. Or are you just fooling us? Is it the, uh, it's the uh, wall uh, of he, computers behind him, I think. Yeah. You keep thinking that. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, we're, you are, you, there is a wall of monitors and screens behind you. In my mind, you're just, you're, you're a technical whiz, but. Hey, I like, I'm going to uh, keep that going in my mind. So just yeah, so you know. de- definitely, uh, you know, sort of a advocate for technology, but <laughs> you know, I, I, it's funny though, because, uh, it's funny you mentioned that, like, um, you know, I've always, you know, I've uh, been programming computers as, as, as long as, you know, I can pretty much remember, I think, uh, I think my first like paid gig, like for uh, for making, for, you know, writing software was when I was about 13 years old. Wow. And so, uh, you know, I've always really been into it, but <laughs> never all that serious. Like I should have probably gotten a degree in computer science instead of, uh, Japanese. <laughs> right. Right. But, uh, yeah, f- fortunately I got like 20 some odd years of experience in the industry. So, you know, uh, it's still definitely takes place of a lousy CS degree. So, <laughs> well, I see well, a, a- like a collection of vintage computers behind you. Is this something you, something you, you actively collect and seek out is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of into collecting and fixing up uh, old, you know, mostly eight bit computers. Um, yeah. Some of these, like, uh, I can find one. I think it's down, down at the bottom, right about there. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I think it's, uh, you can see a better, like yeah, that one, right, right there. That's mm-hmm. a, Radio Shack, uh, TRS-80 Model 3. Okay. That's pretty much, I remember when I was maybe, I don't know, uh, junior high school or something, uh, saved up money from, you know, a summer job and bought my first computer. (laughs) And so it was, it was the same one as that. It was a a TRS-80 Model 3. Okay. I remember too, I ordered it out of a, um, a magazine, which was a pretty common thing to do back at that time. You know, you get the computer magazines and like, oh, cool. This, they have it for a mm. hundred bucks cheaper with the Amber monitor. Sweet. <laughs> and uh, I remember I saved up all my money. I was like so excited. I finally had enough to buy it and I ordered it and it arrived uh, on my doorstep. And I um, like, was so excited. I like, unboxed it, like plugged it in. Didn't work. Uh, it just oh. made a buzzing sound. I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, no. my, my grandmother felt so bad for me. She paid the, you know, the difference, which is like probably a hundred bucks or something like that. But we went right down to the Radio Shack Computer Center, which they used to have at the time. And she just bought me one. <laughs> and then I, you know, I did all the return stuff with the broken one. <laughs> wow. Uh, so that is that, then that's not the one that's uh, just the same model. That's not actually the one you had as a kid. Yeah. That's the same model. Yeah. I, I wish yeah. I still had the original one. I, I don't know what happened to it. And I think uh, probably when I was in Japan, my parents probably sold it at a uh, garage sale or something for 10 bucks. <laughs> okay. So the electro pit, the electro harsh pit. <laughs> yeah. Has, what do you call it? The, uh, the electro mosh pit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> has has the refurbished computers and gear collection. Yeah, I, I have. Let's we'll, we'll say old computers in this room. I don't have a whole bunch of gear actually. I have the stuff I use to perform and record with, and that's uh, mostly about it. I have a few like a uh, you know interfaces for getting sound into a computer. And that's really, uh, I don't have all that much. Yeah, I was going to say, Mike, you, you're saying like, I'm this, you know, this, uh, this highly, you know, technical guy. And, uh, it's, I've, 
I've had a like DAW software, like desktop uh, audio workstation, mm-hmm. like sort of software and uh, digital mixers and stuff like that. I and I wound up like getting it. And so, yeah, this is you know this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to you know record everything digitally and you know and use DAWs to manipulate and yada yada yada. I can't use it. <laughs> it's so <laughs> right, right. I, I yeah, I'm I'm completely with you. So so your so Zome recordings are done without that stuff yeah it's a it has to you know because i'm just you know inept at all this stuff so mm-hmm. it's just li- literally just all analog signal and then the last you know the the last out just goes into uh you know uh, a sound device on the computer and that's it and i then so are, are uh, those uh, are those especially early tapes or just any of your release in general are they totally live is there overdubs uh, minimal uh, overdubs I, uh, some of, some of the early stuff definitely has overdubs in it. Um, I used to have a, a, a lot of the, a lot of the earlier zone stuff was recorded on a Tascam four track, okay. like a tape analog. Mm-hmm. So, um, a, a little bit of manipulation, uh, you know, and there so sometimes I, you know, wanted to put some weird samples or something in there. So sure. I, you know, like mix it in or, uh, you know, I've always been into, to drums and stuff like that. So uh, even though, you know, I don't, maybe that blind Frenchies and pork, maybe that has like some drum stuff on it or the Tave one. I think, I think there's some, some drum, drum stuff on blind Frenchies and maybe on sushi. There's, I noticed like some drum machine maybe. Yeah. It's probably, uh, I had an Alesis D4 drum module for a while and yeah, you know, like had it midied up and stuff like that. And, you know, just mostly screwing around, but, uh. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I always wanted to do more with it, but it just kind of doesn't match, like you know, the Zome sound <laughs> that I'm after. <laughs> so, well, what what is the Zome sound, and how did you come about it? Because the early stuff was more experimental, and and I, when I think of you, I think of you as a pedal guy, and it might be because of you know Noise Guide, and and I think maybe that that show we played together 18 years ago, <laughs> you you did bring a fair share of gear, which I I did in my early days. I brought out so much yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, but what what do you think the Zome sound is, and and when did you kind of arrive at what you consider your sound? That's a that's a nice question. I think if I were to describe, you know, I've heard other people describe Zome sound, and like Mike, you said the word fast. You know, I, I like a lot of like quick changes. I've had a what was that one? Uh, it was a record store in uh, in Tokyo. Ned's. Ned's, yes. <laughs> he used to go there to his tiny, tiny, tiny shop. Hardly any room to walk in it, like literally. And, uh, you know, just talking with him about uh, um, noise in general and, you know, what makes good noise and stuff like that. We would have, like, you know, conversations about that. And, you know, a lot of, you know, I remember we were talking about, like, you know, people seem to, you know, uh, like quick changes, you know, stuff like that. You know, where you're like, beep, you know, uh, like, right. you know, quintessential, like, you know, noise, <laughs> drop that beat kind of thing. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I, you know, I, I try to, uh, you know, have gear that can produce like kind of quick changes. So a lot of like envelope filter related gear and, and gates, uh, things like that, uh, things that can, you know, you do some action and it makes a sound. That's where a lot of like the, the gating stuff comes in. Like if you have your shaker box, you know, you can open up a gate just by, you know, just a, a hard shake of the shaker and things like that. Uh, 
And then, you know, something that can like, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> move between more, uh, you know, higher frequency sounds and lower, like quickly, like things like that. I'm kind of a, a fan of. <laughs> is, is, was Sh- Shakerbox your source generally, or did you have other s- initial sources that you ran through everything? Yeah. Uh, lately it's been pretty much all Shakerbox. And it kind of doesn't matter what it is. It's kind of convenient. And I think uh, when you're playing live too, if the feedback is just right, I can get it. So it's a almost dead silent if I'm not moving. And then if I move like suddenly it's bam, you know, just, just uh, you know, it's really, uh, you know, I think it's it's fun to to play that way. And it's, I, I think, you know, it's impactful for the audience too. It's a, the physicality um, of it. Yeah. Right. Right. It gives, you know, when I do something, uh, the, you know, corresponding sound is heard, you know, <laughs> like sort of things. So. Was that what you <laughs> used also in the nineties? It's a lot of random stuff. I remember for a while we had these, uh, uh, these walkie talkies that I got, they were like a uh, hundred bucks, like 10,000 yen for the set, but they were uh, walkie talkies used for like construction sites. So they were super heavy duty, super long range. The antenna was probably like, you know, like six feet tall out of the thing. <laughs> and I had two of them. <laughs> and, uh, oh, wow. And, uh, for a while I had, uh, what one, uh, uh like, uh, one plugged into my uh, gear, uh, in, into, into my gear. And then I would like manipulate the, uh, the other walkie talkie to, <laughs> as the input, I guess. Wow. Like, just, cool. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I learned quickly that it's a bad idea to uh, involve the audience in those sorts of things. So that it would be really cool if I could just hand the walkie talkie to people in the audience and they could, you know, yell into it or whatever the hell they wanted mm-hmm. to. And then I could manipulate the sound up on stage. But I remember running down on stage and putting it next to this guy who was sitting on the ground. And, uh, and uh, I remember, yeah, I putting it in his hand. And then, uh, and then when I looked up at him, he had it like he had set it down to his side. It's like, no, 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 dude. And I ran back yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I don't Chris need this. this. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, thank you so much. I appreciate this gift. And okay. I will put it away. I will, yeah. I will I enjoy the show some more. Put it to the side. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you find a difference in the way you work in the studio and in the way you perform live? And which do you prefer? Oh, live by hands down. Yeah. Almost, almost hate recording because it's just, boring <laughs> and it's just yeah, i wind up just you know just playing live to you know my dog you know that that's what it comes down to you know mm-hmm. <laughs> happens to, yeah i just like playing live yeah re- recording is you know it's the same sort of thing and i just get to cut out the pieces i don't like <laughs> <laughs> and how often are you playing live i was this la show is it the first show you played this year or had you done shows before yeah this year. Uh, this year yeah this this year the la show just last week uh was my first show of the year yeah i refused a show that was supposed to happen next week in uh, rockland like in uh, up here uh yeah it's uh, and, uh yeah just kind of uh got other stuff going on <laughs> right right now, do you play in sacramento at all um yeah i'm actually playing there later this month i think on the 17th uh oh cool playing, awesome. uh, yeah, they have this uh, regular, uh, uh, like, uh, Waffle Show, which is a uh, like a, a, a play off of the San Francisco Bay Area 
The Pancake Show. Yeah, The Pancake Show. We, yeah, I think, I do think we may have played yes. a one of the Pancake Shows together. It, it, it that went, again, leading up to the, well, go, trying to go through this brain of mine, obviously had, well, saw Zone, but didn't see Zone uh, in the 90s, but I think we might have played one of those pancake shows. And we were those are, those are, those are, all those shows where there's so many bands. We were saying, what's the noise waffle pancake connection? Because you just want to eat waffles and pancakes and, and watch noise. <laughs> yeah, because it's the perfect combination. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so have you been setting? Have you been doing those, or someone else is doing them in the Sacramento? Somebody area. else is doing it. Like oh, I said, okay, I'm too okay. lazy to do stuff like that. That's one <laughs> right. thing I don't set up shows. So if anybody oh. listening on this podcast yeah. wants me to set up a <laughs> show in Sacramento, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Maybe you'll pass an email on, but that's that's the closest it's getting. Exactly. Even, yeah, and I even that. I, I don't even do that. That's too much yeah. responsibility. <laughs> Yeah, uh, totally. Because all of a sudden you feel like you, you were the shaker box in that chain. You were that first <laughs> source and then yeah. you don't even want to be that first source. It's like source. you're responsible for their gas to the next town. It's very, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. All of a sudden. And you know, it's a lot of weird stuff has happened with booking in uh, Sacramento, but yeah, you know, it's like, but you'll play. I'll, I'll play if somebody asks like for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. Playing, playing this, uh, uh, this thing on a, it's like a, 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 a midday show. It's on a Sunday, you know, afternoon kind of thing. Right. And you know, they have coffee and waffles and noise. There you go. <laughs> so looking back at decades of noise of zone, do you have any shows that completely stand out to you as this was one of the greatest shows or a handful that were you know, I mean, like you said, some of your first shows were, you were playing with Merzball. Yeah. You're playing. I mean, obviously, yeah. those haven't been so formative. But there are there any specific ones that even when I just say that, some of your favorite shows that jump in your head when you think about your some of your all time favorite shows throughout the years. Yeah, there uh, there've been quite a few that like stick out. Like, geez, yeah. Now that you mention it, it's like you know we've a uh, you know been a. Uh, Almost kicked out of venues before, like a, of course. A show I, yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, early, early zone. Like a, I had a, uh, I had picked up a, a, not not related to the fact that I was in the Air Force, but I had an Air Force uh, flight suit that I had picked up at a, a surplus store or whatever. Right. Okay. All over the suit, I sewed in. Uh, little piezo like elements mm -hmm. and then I had I had like shit ton of uh, guitar pedals and I had everything connected and then I had it all going down my back and down my the back of my leg and then the flight suit there's a pocket right at the where your ankle is pretty much and I mounted a uh, kind of like a patch bay I guess that connected all the piezos and then I had a bunch of quarter inch jacks on my leg. <laughs> and so I, this, uh, this suit, uh, that I made, uh, I plugged it into an Alesis D4 drum module and it, you know, pick, picks up the sounds as, as drum sounds. Like, so, uh, when, when I did it, I, I, everybody says like, Oh, like Lori Anderson did that. And I'm like, Oh, I, <laughs> okay. I, I, you know, <laughs> I don't really even really know who Lori Anderson is too much, yeah. but okay. Yeah. I guess she's some popular musician of some kind, but, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I did that. And, you know, it's like, and of course it went through some pedals and stuff like that. So it sounded all just crazy, but, uh, yeah, I remember, uh, doing that. And then we would like, uh, yeah, like, uh, bring power tools on stage and like, you know, grind the hell out of metal and shoot sparks all over the place. 
and uh yeah i was uh, uh kicked out of a venue in tokyo wow <laughs> do you remember who else was fire. On, do you oh. remember who else was on the show uh the other bands playing let's see oh geez i don't i'd have to look it up yeah well yeah. you know luckily you there's a website that has I can, incredibly I can email detailed you information you yeah it. yeah if you need that email yeah. uh that site yeah. uh, zome.org yeah uh, you can, there's probably well, some info on that that sounds that sounds insane yeah yeah the uh an, another one that really comes to mind is uh um i think it was in about 95 so it was you know pretty early zone days too uh Stimbox and death squad came from uh san francisco and uh they were they wanted yeah they wanted to play in tokyo and it's just like and in tokyo it takes at the time anyway i don't know how it is now but you need at least three four five months uh to get it you know, yeah. lead time to to find a venue and, and all this and that so um, they, you know, of course they gave me like two weeks, like to right. come up with a place or something mm. like that. Right. As and, friends uh, do. Yeah. Of course. And this is another reason why I don't book anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so I remember like going to all the venues that I could like think of that would take a noise show. And, uh, they were all, of course, all booked up for that day. And, you know, it's just like, well, if you want to play at like 10 in the morning or something, maybe we could do some, it's like, uh, but I, I found uh, this really, uh, there's like a bar with a small stage called Theater Pooh. Well, where in, uh, the CCCC yeah. did a, there's a recording from Theater Pooh. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Wow. But yeah, that place was, uh, yeah, tiny, uh, but it was such an awesome location. It was in Shinjuku, which is like a, a town in Tokyo that's like, uh, it's, you know, it's like the transit hub. It's like a big, like, you know, just a lot of people there all the time. It's, mm-hmm. it was right outside the train station too. So it was like really easy for people to get to and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I set up this show. I, I managed to get a show at this place and that's when I introduced the Zome jar of mud too. <laughs> awesome. Which, okay. So we'll, this will, yeah, perfect. We're going to talk about that jar of mud after this. So, so, yes. so tell us about the show though, before we get to the jar of mud. Yeah, the the show though is like really, uh, yeah, it, not necessarily like uh, my, my set was just whatever, you know. It was just I, I think, uh, oh, it kind of wasn't whatever because I remember uh, the, the 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 this theater poo place they had uh, uh, video equipment and then they could and they said like oh if you want to project stuff on the on the screen while you're playing or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, just bring VHS tapes. I'm like okay. And so I remember, sitting, you know, spending the week prior to the show, like basically, uh, let me backpedal for one second. I was like walking home from work in Tokyo and I, uh, and they, people there leave their trash, like, you know, on the side of the road to be picked up and they leave the most amazing shit out there. And I got wow. most of my furniture. I furnished my house with trash, like when <laughs> I was in Tokyo and a lot of, you know, I had like a you know, a CD player that I got from the trash. I had a pachinko machine that I got from the trash. Oh my God. Beautiful. The, the little, uh, I found a, uh, a Japanese typewriter that has all the, the oh, old school, all the kanji ones. Wow. And that's what I use for that roast chicken. Wow. There we go. Cool. A bust, I busted it open and there was all these, like the little platins or whatever they're called mm-hmm. with the individual characters on them. And I, you know, there's, you know, lots of characters in the, in, in the Japanese. So, you know, there's so literally cool. like 
I remember I had a two Pringles cans full of those little, little things. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, wow. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So one, one day I was walking home from work and I, and I was like looking in the trash, like I normally do. <laughs> and, uh, I found this shopping bag full of like porno movies and I'm like, sweet, I'm taking these. Yeah. And so I brought them home and, uh, <laughs> I remember like, yeah, looking through them and, uh, and I wound up, uh, it was right around the time of that theater poo show. And I wound up, uh, just dubbing like, like just the orgasm scenes from whatever these porno movies along right. with just, uh, I had these other video, uh, VHS tapes with the ex- like buildings being ex- imploded and exploded and stuff. So I just, there's buildings being exploded and orgasms. Perfect and, uh, noise. Great. Perfect. That is very Perfect. noise. Yes. That is so noise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So I uh, projected that on stage while Zone was playing. And I could see the owner wasn't all that happy about that uh, <laughs> for whatever reason. And so, uh, so like uh, that, that happened and, you know, it was still pretty cool. And then uh, uh, Death Squad, Michael, he, he took the stage. And uh, in, the, in, the, in the meantime, uh, Akita from Mersbau came. He wanted to check out, you know, these noise bands from, uh, from San Francisco. Right. <laughs> and uh, I remember he was going to an Aphex Twin concert later that night. Oh my God. What a yes. great day. Zoom, Stimbox, Death Squad, and Aphex Twin. Uh, <laughs> sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but Michael was so freaked out that Mersbell was in the audience that he played with his back to the audience. And he, oh. I think he, I think he played something for uh, like three minutes and then he had this like little cheapy, like uh, like Casio SK one or some, one of those like little uh, mm-hmm. keyboards. And he just like taped down some of the keys and then he ran off stage and, wow. and everybody, everybody's like, wow, this is like part of his set, you know, and it's still, you know, like yeah. playing through the speakers and everything. And uh, yeah, everybody's just sitting there like, Oh yeah, this is badass. Yeah. Cool. And then like a few minutes passed, this is like, now why? He's not coming back. <laughs> and then maybe like five or 10 minutes passed and he still didn't come back. And I'm like, and I looked around and I didn't see him anywhere. So I'm what the hell? And I, and it was, this place is on, I think the third floor or something. And you have to go okay. up this really mm-hmm. tight stairwell. So I looked in the stairwell. I didn't see him anywhere out there. I went back in there and everybody's still like looking forward at the stage, like with like just playing with nobody on stage. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, oh man, where the hell's Michael, man? I gotta, uh, and uh, and then I, I went, I looked in the stairwell again, still nothing. And you know, by then, like 20 minutes or so had passed with just everybody That's still like wild. looking at the stage. I, I finally went all the way downstairs uh, and went out in the street and I'm looking around. And he like comes around the corner with a sandwich in his hand. I'm like, hey, what the fuck? And he's like, is, oh, I'm like, you're, you're, are you going to end this or what? And he's like, oh, you, it's still going. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I guess he got hungry and just went to a convenience store and got a sandwich. Nobody turned it off. Oh, wow. Yeah. So did he, did, did, did he go and turn it off or did you have to go up and turn it off? Yeah, yeah. Then finally, he's he gets up there. I think you know. I imagine he probably had still had a sandwich in his hand and just you know turned it off. And everybody's like, "Yeah, insane! <laughs> that is incredible." <laughs> I I could hear stories of Death Squad shows, and it, it yes. they run the gamut. 
From yeah. that to <laughs> some of the most extreme stories yes. you'll ever hear. Oh, yeah. That's I, incredible. That's pretty extreme. Um, Michael, but, yeah, pretty insane. Yeah. You mentioned the jar of mud. Well, Dome likes mud, is what we heard. Uh, th- there's even a there's even more to this show though. Oh, oh, oh please no, sorry. please didn't please continue. It's it's even funnier because this is why I asked never to come back to Theater Pooh ever again. Uh so Stimbox, he played last, I believe. Uh so he he gets up on stage and he, he has shit ton of pedals and he's got them on the floor all around him kind of in a semicircle and he's doing his thing. And uh, apparently uh, Richard Ramirez uh, was doing this thing where uh, he wanted noise artists to send videos of them jacking off. Mm-hmm. Americox. Yeah. Is that what it is? That's yes. what it is called. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I, I never knew that there was a final release ever. It's one of the most mysterious <laughs> items that we know of, mm-hmm. and it, it is definitely stuff of legend. <laughs> legend. <laughs> Apparently even more than we know. Yeah, uh, uh, I, I guess uh, Tim Stimbox was uh, invited to uh, to submit uh, tape. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure about Tim's penis these days, but uh, at, at that time he had a, uh, he had a, a, a Prince Albert. <laughs> And I guess Wonderful. he had like a hoop like uh, in there. And uh, so he, he actually played this video while he was performing at this theater poo place. And, you know, he has this little uh, chain with a hook on it. And he's, you know, he hooks it on this thing and he's like pulling on it and jacking off and stuff like that. And uh, it's just like, and it was hilarious. Like the reaction <laughs> of the audience like a lot of the girls were like uh, in the audience, they were like kind of covering up their faces, but right, you, could right. see, you know, they had their, they still were wanted to check it out. I, I remember uh, Endo having to leave the room, like Kazumoto Endo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, yeah. He, it was like too much for him and everybody was just freaking out. Like, just like, that shit's illegal in Japan, you know, it's pornography or whatever. And, and, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Tim set ended and everybody just kind of didn't clap or anything. <laughs> I imagine just kind of walking out. Just, uh, just the just vibe. Just, <laughs> and the, uh, just wrecked the vibe. And, uh, uh, I remember the owner saying like, yeah, please, please don't return here. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so that was that was one was that actually the first show you did actually set up yourself? I don't remember. I used to have this uh sort of collective thing that I made up called the Japan Transcendental Cacophonies Society or Association, uh JTCA. Mm-hmm. And uh there's a Japanese word for it too. That sounds funny, but uh um yeah, yeah, that uh, I used to set up shows under that name. Uh, only, a, only a handful though. Yeah, and uh, the theater poo show sort wow. of. Wow, yeah, it was, was probably was, the first was one. One of the last ones. For yeah. maybe one of the first and one of the last. <laughs> last one at theater poo anyway. Yeah, that was <laughs> that place was off limits after that. Burn that place to the ground. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I think of Stimbox in a different way now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> incredible. Oh. <laughs> I love, I love hearing this, but 
jar of mud. Oh yeah, the jar of mud. I I, I just uh, <laughs> yeah yeah. It's like a you know the research like series of books. Oh, yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah uh, there was one. There's one that my probably my favorite book ever in existence is the pranks the first pranks book the the uh, joe coleman part of that is one of the greats what, what's, what's that the joe the joe coleman <laughs> yeah uh, one the entry in that is one of the great stories just uh, brilliant just like incredible just prankistry <laughs> yeah uh, but uh yeah I, I think it was actually boyd wright's interview in there yes and yeah. uh and uh he 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 was just telling some story about uh, how he used to get hassled by cops or all the time, and he said that uh, one of a uh, one of his friends got pulled over by the cops or something, and they, uh, they he had a jar of mud in his car, and the cops were like, "What the hell is this?" And he says, "Oh, it's just a jar of mud," you know, and the, <laughs> and the cops were you know trying to you know because they they picked up this 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 I guess Boyd Rice's friend at, near a cow pasture of some kind. That he, they surmised that the, he was it was cow dung in there and he was drying it out and smoking it or something like that, right? And it just <laughs> talks about this this jar oh, of mud. So I just good. really thought like keeping a jar of mud in your car is just such a, a funny thing. <laughs> and so <laughs> for a while I was on this like trip of like, you know, a jar of mud and all this and that. So I, I decided to, yeah, literally like fill up a jar full of mud and try to sell it. <laughs> and uh, it was really expensive too. That's probably why nobody bought it. <laughs> it's, it's selling for $123. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, hey, I take yours on the jar of mud. You know? It's still <laughs> technically available though, right? Is there a, but is there a three inch CD in it? I, I would have to make one if somebody ordered it. Yeah. Because it is technically still available though, right? Yes. Yeah. It, well, if somebody pays whatever I'm asking for on the website, which I believe it's $123. Yeah. I, I will give them a jar of mud plus a, a Zome CD that's unique. <laughs> hey, everybody. You all heard it here. Get that's your right. own mud. Get your mud. Dude, this was like, what an, what an incredible conversation. This is so cool. That's yeah, yeah. great. This is so. Oh yeah, no, this is so fun for us. And like we said, you know, all week we've just been listening so much on him, and have been talking to a lot Mm -hmm. of friends, a lot of people who either saw you back in those earlier days, right? You know, in the early two thousands, like Gray, or or like Phil, and you know, just people you worked with, like Dom. Everyone's just Mm -hmm. very, really excited. Uh, that we're getting a chance to talk to you. I'm so glad you ended up playing a show with Gray. This is how this all all got yeah. connected. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, really, so, yeah. really happy about this. This is so cool. So, as we keep talking about, there's Zoom.org. Zoom yeah. is an incredible band camp with tons of stuff on there. So, we're going to obviously have links to all that. Everyone go support directly, as we always say. Support artists, support labels directly. The the band camp's great. All, all, a lot of the releases we've been discussing today are up there. Mm-hmm. So good when you are so good. It's, it's, it's good summer right it's, yeah, you got a it's summer fast, party plan it's, it's fast you can play party. hot noise you've got a party you can play summer party, if you want to go party. Eat some su- yeah it's right go eat some sushi listen to sushi it's amazing maybe make your own jar of mud hey no absolutely not <laughs> no purchase it from zone yeah, need, no bootleg mud. mud no bootleg no jar of mud. mud no yeah, no yeah. no i'm not okay with it <laughs> 
Everyone can tell. Something else that is part of a, a release of yours and something that is was discussed in some show write-ups is UFOs. Oh, so right. if you don't mind, we are going to pop over to the Patreon and we wanted to talk to you a little bit about UFOs for our extra segment. So we're going to pop over there. Bob, thank you so much. We're signing okay. off for the regular feed. We're popping over the Patreon to talk a little UFOs. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years. By Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.